Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, technology has been key to pivoting businesses and enabling them to thrive. So today, as the official recruitment partner of Manchester City Football Club, we're joined by Greg Swimer, Chief Technology Officer at City Football Group. Greg is here to share his expert insights on how the role of a CTO has evolved because of the pandemic and the key qualities required to succeed as a tech leader. Hi, Greg, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Hi, Megan. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we begin, it would be great if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit more about your career journey to CTO. Yes, of course. So I started, well, I I studied engineering and management quite a long time ago now. I graduated in 1994, which in, I suppose, in IT terms is a very long time ago. I entered IT as a sort of profession in 1997. So that was three years after, after graduating. And I sort of entered IT straight into general IT management, what you might call sort of, yeah, general tech leadership. I was sort of very fortunate to get a really great opportunity. I was the country IT manager for Unilever, the consumer goods company. That was sort of me age 27, back in 1997. I would say technology then wasn't really considered a very glamorous job. I dare say perhaps not even a very important job. We were sort of dealing with you know, technologies that some of the listeners might remember, you know, Windows 3.11 and some of the sort of early enterprise technology implementations. But, you know, it was an absolutely incredible training ground, really, for, for me and I think for anyone that was around in, in tech in those days, you know, the early days of the of the web and trying to sort of bring technology to, to bear to drive growth for, for companies. Uh, and I actually ended up spending 15 years with Unilever doing a variety of IT jobs. And the, the last job I had there before leaving was CTO, Chief Technology Officer, which was, you know, something that I had really only sort of dreamt of when I when I when I joined Unilever back in 1997, but I sort of decided that it, I'd spent a long time in one industry. It was time for a change. Um, from Unilever, I went to do something completely different, which was in advertising, and I took a role as um, CTO again, but for this time for a company called Hogarth Worldwide, which is was and is the world's largest advertising production company and a big part of WPP's uh, global operation. I did that for three years and then from there I went or came to City Football Group in 2017 again as Chief Technology Officer. So I, I guess sort of stepping back from that, I've, I feel very fortunate that I took that decision way back when in 1997 to, to go into IT. I've seen being part of just incredible change and, and growth in the, in the technology landscape um, over that time and I've been very fortunate to have been able to work in three different industries, consumer goods, advertising and now uh, sports. Thanks, Greg. It sounds like you've had a really interesting career journey working with um, some great organizations and, and big brands. Now, to really kick off our conversation today, I wanted to begin by asking, have your key strategic priorities shifted due to COVID-19? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think strategically, I mean, if you take a really long-term lens, the, the answer is that things, I think the same things are important now as they were 
you know, prior to all this kicking off 12 months ago, it is the same things that will form the core of our business that will make us successful and that we need to achieve in, techno- in technological terms. But saying that in, in the sort of short term, or what, what you might call sort of tactically, that my, my priorities, everyone's priorities, I think, have, have just changed enormously. And actually, there's never really been a 12-month period or even any period really quite like it in my career. I think, you know, looking at our business, as I say, in sort of Manchester City, City Football Group, that there's barely a single aspect of it that hasn't been quite profoundly affected by the lockdowns and the, the sort of change in awareness and regulations around sort of public health and individual health. You know, the, the scale at which we operate, both, you know, in Manchester, in the Premier League, and also globally, technology is woven into pretty much every single business process that we operate. And because we've changed nearly every business process one way or another, that's meant changes to the technology, to our service, to our offerings. It's meant huge changes to the projects that we're running. It's meant changes to be aware of the way we run football matches, running them behind closed doors, dealing with our fans, trying to maintain connections, the way we run our offices. You know, everything has changed. So that has been the priority really for for 12 months or more now. And and I suppose, like, like everyone, there's also been a big sort of shift in personal priorities or the very least you know the, the places that i'm spending time obviously at home much more like like everyone that's where i'm talking to you now but the requirements of us or, or you know of myself as a parent of, of free school age children as children of my parents and uh, you know so, so a, a, an awful lot has changed in that regard as well that has to be sort of balanced in so yes it, it has been a pretty unusual 12 months and i think one that we'll we'll all remember for a very very long time yeah they've definitely felt like um very momentous months now in what ways do you think the pandemic has spurred on technological change and innovation Uh, and what impact is this having on teams and organizations i think clearly the the standout change I mean, the, the one that just jumps out a mile has been the sort of replacement of physical presence with virtual and the almost complete elimination of, of travel beyond, you know, the, the, the very sort of local journeys. And I, and I think you sit here now and you step back from that. I think the remarkable thing about it, and I th- again, I think everyone can observe this from their own personal lives as well as their professional lives, is, is just how well it's worked, basically, you know, as a society. We found solutions to all sorts, you know, virtual solutions to all sorts of things, you know, schools, birthdays, family events, uh, all that sort of thing. And, and as a business, we, like other businesses, have found solutions to all sorts of things that we hadn't really had to do before, but have found ways through. So would be that sort of fan walls to bring fans that can't be at the game uh, into the stadium. We've done player appearances, press conferences. We've launched our We're Not Really Here show, which is a sort of wraparound event around the, the, the get behind closed doors game streamed over the internet we've even joined the first lockdown ran some first team training sessions uh, virtually we've run thousands upon thousands of meetings we've actually built and opened a, a brand new uh, city football academy overseas in montevideo in uruguay without being able to go over there and actually participate in the in the commissioning process so there's been this sort of just explosion of possibilities i think to, to do things virtually that previously one would only have thought was possible physically i mean you ask about the 
effect on teams. I think that's a bit early to, or teams and organizations, let's say. I think that's a little bit early to judge. I mean, you can sort of make some observations about the way the teams are working through this. Again, we've all been part of teams that are working through it. So I, I think one observation that I would make is that contrary to some people's expectations, collaboration hasn't stopped. And actually, by some measures, I think it hasn't slowed down. In fact, it may even have speeded up. And I think in some ways, being virtual for things can be quite a big democratizer. I think physical meetings can sometimes end up quite imbalanced just because of where people are sitting or uh, how people dominate space and time. And I think virtually can sometimes provide uh, a more sort of thoughtful and, and structured form of collaboration. You know, lots and lo- I've personally been in lots and lots of probably smaller group meetings over the, you know, over virtual technologies. And in some ways, it's actually quite easy to get hold of people because everyone's sort of at home and not, not charging around uh, all the time. So we'll still have to see how it goes because I think that all that needs to be, ba- in saying that's all one thing, it has to be sort of balanced against other factors. I think it's clearly difficult for people to be isolated as we have been for such a long period of time. People need uh, release from that. I think people are, are very, very tired. I, I think working this way is quite tiring. So I would say I don't think it's for quite a while yet that we can see what the long-term impacts really look like and what, what, that, what that sort of new normal is. People talk about that. Looking back to the beginning of the pandemic, which feels like a lifetime ago, how did you ensure you were operating in an agile and flexible way when initially responding to the crisis? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, um, that's a good question. I thought you might ask me that. I had to sort of try and cast my mind back 12 months or so to that period of time. I mean, I think one thing I would say is that I was, I think we had quite a good starting point, which is fortunate. I mean, it, it wasn't an accident in a way because we worked hard to make sure that we had good conditions for sort of technical stability and agility. But, you know, things like we have a large proportion of our services are software as a service, public cloud provisions. So we don't have you know, extensive reliance on infrastructure that might be stuck behind, you know, a, a sort of aging firewall or that sort of thing. So we are, you know, we're quite well positioned from that point of view. And the other thing, perhaps we might talk about this a bit later, but we have a highly technical IT team and we deliberately built it I've deliberately built it that that way. So I think those two sort of, and other things as well, gave us a bit of agility and speed built in. But looking back over that sort of particular time period, the first, almost the first thing we did, we sort of moved the entire of the IT organization into a, a sort of daily planning cycle, which is sort of familiar, I suppose, on that sort of development agile framework thing, but, but a bit less familiar for a sort of more, rigid service-based sort of organization or the service-based parts of our organization. So we sort of quickly got into that sort of daily planning cycle. One of the things we did was sort of develop a set of assumptions that were, I think, quite cautious. I mean, I'd sort of been following the news quite carefully. We actually have a a football club uh, in China. So professionally, we have an interest in what's going on out there, as, as many people do, but also sort of following the news quite carefully of what had happened sort of over the December, January timeframe. So we sort of developed, I was developing a set of assumptions that were deliberately cautious, like if we close the office, we'll be closed for three months, rather than say, well, we'll close on a Wednesday, we'll open again on Friday. And that enabled, I think, everyone to sort of start planning with some certainty ahead of those announcements. So we were probably 
two or three in, in our planning we were probably two or three weeks ahead of where you know the country was and then i think we tried to we did move very quickly but we tried to be quite organized and systematic about it and um, we tried to sort of hold this the whole way through the pandemic period really so sort of yes we were i mean for example on the very in the very first days we were working out how to move hardware from from the office to people's homes very quickly after that we were trying to work out how to issue medical questionnaires uh, manage site access but but in all of those we tried to do it systematically as in develop systems even if they were quite rough initially but just to say let's capture all the information let's put things through proper approvals let's keep good records let's develop new it systems if we need to so we repointed the development teams that would you know for, for a couple of weeks away from their tasks towards developing systems to manage covid and i think that's really stood us in in, in quite good stead and i think at least i hope i'm right in saying that i think technology as a team within the company has sort of strengthened our reputation through the pandemic and i think we've had you know good uh, support from our colleagues and we've supported them well in in, in helping manage things in a professional way. And were there any other ways in which you have continued to adapt and continued to be adaptable to the changing demands throughout the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, we've had to do that. I mean, probably every every few weeks or maybe at least every three months or so, we've had to sort of reset the methodology of, of how we're working and how we're approaching things because I think there have been periods of really rapid change. If you think back to sort of March and April last year, it was, you know, the, the, it, things were changing every day. Similarly, when we started to open back up again and started, you know, for the first time doing things like stage, staging matches behind closed doors, you know, that, that was a tremendous learning experience. Um, then again, with the, you know, with the sort of second lockdown and, uh, you know, there have been these periods of time where things have changed very rapidly. There have also been periods of times which have been a bit more stable. So, yeah, I think you have to sort of, what I've tried to do is try and look every few weeks, heads up, where are we, how are we working? There's also been a very a sort of company-wide effort, which has been very successful to really, I suppose, be very conscious always about what our key risks are work through those, reevaluate them. Um, and those risks, obviously, that a lot of those are, are enterprise level, club level, but they're also true technology level, uh, technology level. So continually to look at, you know, where are our risks now? Which ones are likely to manifest themselves? Have we got the right mitigations in place? That forces, I think, a continuous reevaluation of, of what we're doing. And perhaps it sounds, uh, I suppose, rather simplistic to say that's what we've done but you know that 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 is how we've we've worked and so far i think it stood us in quite good stead thanks greg now i want to change gear a little bit and look ahead what do you think are the top tech challenges that will impact the future world of work and how can tech leaders and their teams work to overcome these that is a great question. Actually, no, knowing that I was coming on here, I actually asked my team that question. So I, I internally sent out a, a little message to everyone in my team and said, well, what, what are they things? I got a, t a load of good answers back. There were actually three three sort of big themes that, that sort of dominated in terms of the sort of these future challenges for, for technology. I think there was information security, infosec, cyber, that, that whole area. The second one was integration and integrated world of work and in integration you know within the company and, and beyond and then the third one was talent which is probably a subject i guess that's uh, quite close to to your heart at hayes 
So, so I think, I, I mean, just looking at each one of those things briefly on, on InfoSec, you know, so every IT professional is, is basically now an information security professional to, to some extent or other. There, there isn't anyone in, in my team or I would argue in any IT organization anywhere that doesn't have a role to play in thinking about InfoSec. We see these new attack vectors all the time. You know, sort of recent, there's been a lot of news recently, just in the last days um, before recording this, about um, attacks on solar winds and other key infrastructure. You know, the pandemics, as we've discussed, it's seen a sort of complete temporary, at least, and stop to office-based working. So, you know, the absolute end of the idea of a, of a sort of network perimeter and a firewall that everyone's working behind. So sort of securing accounts, securing devices, securing data, securing identities, operating security operations at large scale. I, I think that is a theme and a, and a challenge that will dominate for, for, for a huge, you know, for a generation, for, for sure, if not beyond. I think the second one, uh, you know, I mentioned was was integration. So, as departments and teams and organisations are working in this sort of much more dispersed way, the, the demand for integration and, and integrated solutions is just increasing all the time. And then, you know, for tech leaders, getting the balance right between speed and agility and allowing things to to move in a perhaps you know a less integrated way but also maintaining all those key integration points so that data can always flow in the right way, that go back to security, things are secured properly, that business processes work properly. I think that's a really key balancing act for, for tech teams and for tech leaders. And it also sort of drives the need for really, really top collaboration tools, really top discipline around collaboration, really good discipline around IT resource management, project management. I mean, all of those things speak to it the need to deliver integration for our colleagues. And then the third one was was talent. You know, I, I, I probably ought to ask you about that as much as you could ask me, but uh, you know, the, the, there is a shortage of, of, of IT talent. There will continue to be. I think, you know, there were some really sort of uh, priority pockets within that, particularly around sort of cybersecurity, um, information security. So yes, there is a sort of obviously competition to, or a war for talent, people call it. That, that's one thing. But I think there is a, a wider need for, for the technology industry uh, to sort of promote talent, to promote technology education in schools and universities. And I've got my children just been through A-levels and GCC, GCSEs, getting more people studying uh, computer science at that level painting exciting pictures of, of this industry, expanding talent pools, working on diversity and inclusion across the industry because it's still nowhere near where it needs to be, making these roles accessible. I, yeah, I think this is going to be, a, again, a, a generational challenge for for the industry in the UK and beyond. So earlier in our conversation, you touched uh, a bit on the changing professional and, and personal priorities that have happened as a result of the pandemic. And I wanted to expand on this. What have you learned about yourself, both personally and professionally, over the course of the crisis so far? That is a good question. I actually turned 50 a few weeks ago in, in lockdown, which was um, you know, a very nice day, although a bit different from what I probably had in mind for my, for my 50th birthday. And I think it's a, yeah, I suppose a bit hard to detach how you feel about yourself growing older from, from how you feel about you know, having been living through this last 12 months and, you know, in particular, I suppose, parenting through this last 12 months, I think more than anything, it's drawn out how connected 
we all are to each other. And I think uh, as a sort of, uh, as a leader or as a colleague or as a parent or as a, as a brother, child, you know, it's driven that greater connection with people's personal situations. I mean, spend a lot of time talking to people about how they're coping and what they're going through. There's been this just horrendous sense of, of personal loss and tragedy for, for many people, both friends and, and colleagues. I, I think that, that is all all to the good in a way you know we, we need to understand each other we need to talk to each other i think it's good that we that we connect with each other i, I have always enjoyed doing that as a colleague it probably took me a little bit of time in my career as i you know, grew older to to realize that people you know obviously everyone has different views on that but generally it's, it's welcomed from colleagues to, to, to pay an interest i try and pay an interest in, in how my team are doing and how everyone's doing and i try and you know, be open and honest about how I'm doing and, you know, some of the difficulties that we've had with, you know, homeschooling and some of the practical difficulties on that. Before I ask you another question, I'd like to quickly wish you a happy belated birthday. <laughs> that's very kind of you, though. It, it was a few weeks ago now, but uh, that's very, very kind of you. <laughs> I think a lot of us, well, all of us have had lockdown birthdays this year and it hasn't been quite the same, has it? No, but in some ways it was a bit more, uh, it, it made it, a bit more special, I would say, in, in some ways. And I was very, very fortunate to have uh, a few people get in touch on the day, which was lovely. Yeah, we tend to savour those nice moments a bit more than perhaps we did before. Yeah, I, that's why. I think that's why I think everyone has now had a lockdown birthday pretty much. So uh, yeah. everyone has had that special feeling. So sticking with the theme of leadership, uh, for those who have perhaps just started out in their first tech leadership role, how would you recommend they, they make a strong initial impact? The, the first part of my answer is a bit glib, but I think it is nonetheless true, which is find problems to solve. I think there are almost always in technology uh, a bunch of problems that people want to be want to help solving. There may be new problems, there may be old ones, but I think it is easy, and I do see this from time to time in technology, it's sort of easy to sometimes get a little bit lost in the abstraction of what we're trying to achieve. But I think first and foremost, we, you know, we deploy technology in business to help the business. And in doing, you know, it is our colleagues that know what they want to achieve, be those marketing challenges, finance challenges. In our context, you know, challenges with how we want to entertain fans in our stadium or keep people safe or win football games. And, you know, the job of technologists, first and foremost, is, is to go and find those problems and, and help solve them and help deliver success. So that's the first part. I think the flip side of that is that if that's all one does, then I think that's not a very good long-term route to success because it's also important to sort of take time to try and root out what the underlying causes are that prevented success in the first place, if you like. So what, what's holding things back? You know, what are the root causes of that? I think I think it's really important for tech leaders, whether they're in their first role or, or their a later role, to be able to sort of stand back and articulate what the challenges are and gain support for changing those. There's one example of that. I came into a previous role where there were a very large number of developers working on a on a product but very, very slow progress in product development. But yeah, we were sort of months behind where 
where where we wanted to be and the the, the person i take it over from the previous incumbent we had sort of left with a chat saying well we're, we're not there because we, we need to add another 20 or, or 30 developers wanted to increase and that had been rejected as an idea or at least was very skeptical about that and once we sort of st- took a, a sort of position a bit more detached from the problem looked at what the problems actually were you could see that the root causes were not going to be addressed by any more developers and the root causes lay in with sort of the way the product was being managed the way that the release process was being run and, and many other sort of more uh, deeper sort of technical factors once we addressed those and we we did take some time to address those we got an awful lot more done with fewer developers so i think tech leaders need to be courageous enough not to sort of accept receive wisdom on what the problem is because often it's not what people think it necessarily is that can be quite uncomfortable but if if you're coming in if you've got an opportunity to lead in technology yes you know go find problems and solve them and be known as that person that does that but but also be the person that looks for how do we do things better and where do we need to challenge things that are perhaps long held views and actually you know change those in order to, in order to be more successful in the future that's brilliant advice uh, very practical and actionable so thank you in a similar vein what advice would you give to any tech professional who one day aspires to work at the cto level i'd give anyone the same advice just keep keep on doing it when you get to cto i mean look i, I suppose as you get more senior in in any role in any function, let's say, doesn't that's where there's technology. It, it, it could be finance, could be HR, could be marketing, it could be general management. It doesn't really matter. I think as you get more senior, I think there are, there are a whole raft of things that grow in importance. And managing bigger teams, you're managing bigger budgets, you're a part of the the leadership of the of the company. So so all sorts of things become important. But but in terms of sort of the, the sort of success in managing and running technology, I'd go back to the same sort of things I talked about. You know, make sure you're focused on success through technology, solving problems, not overly focused on, let's say, rigidity of process, but but actually focused on what, you know, what does it take to be successful? But at the same time, just continually searching for ferreting out and solving the the, the blockers and the the bottlenecks. Um, wherever they come they're they're sometimes technical but they're sometimes sort of attitudinal and I think there's no more important role for me as as a a tech leader than to try and make sure that the whole organization is able to be successful with technology there's no one path to doing that you know I found my way of articulating those things you know but I'm in, in contact with and learn from other CTOs right across this industry and others who, who do that brilliantly. So make sure you're solving problems, but make, make sure you keep on looking at what it takes to be successful with tech. Thanks. You mentioned the shortage of available tech talent earlier in our conversation. Which soft and technical skills do you think IT teams will really need to thrive in the future? Well, again, IT has become such a, a, an enormous and diverse sort of profession in any number of ways of, of thriving within it. There's any number of niches. I mean, one can go one's whole career being a specialist in a particular type of technology or particular type of program language and never doing anything other than that. Or, you know, one can p- perhaps 
plough a, a furrow a bit more like I have done, which would be being a bit more of a generalist across all, all sorts of technology. You know, I started was more in the applications world at the beginning of my career, then moved more into the data analytics and, you know, latterly perhaps be more focused on infrastructure and, and information security. So there's a couple of general comments to make. I think organisations or IT organisations have to be technical. And I, and, I, and I know that sounds slightly like a statement of the obvious, but I, I think there was a period of time, maybe if I go back a decade or so, and I still think I, I still hear this talked about from time to time that, you know, in-house IT can just sort of run on service management, vendor selection, project management, and it's all about finding the right vendors you know, managing them well and managing them to SLAs and that's how to deliver IT. I, I don't believe that to be the case. I don't think that delivers successful IT outcomes. I think yeah, in-house technical teams or IT teams at companies have to be technical, have to understand the technology that they're dealing with, understand how to run it, manage it, implement it, develop it. I think that's that's really important. And then I think the second thing are that all the old sort of received wisdoms about what's important in, in management generally are, are just as important in IT, you know, whether that's ability to communicate, ability to lead, ability to be adaptable. You know, IT teams need those skills. And I think you talked about them as, as, as soft skills, but they're, they're, you know, they're completely critical. It is possible for highly technical sort of functions to get a bit detached from more nuanced side of, of business conversations sometimes because with the world that we deal in in technology is it can be quite binary we have an application with a million lines of code they all have to be right because if one line in a million is wrong the application may not work and that requires a certain mindset but not everyone that we work with has to come at it from the same mindset people come from more creative uh, side of things and we, we all have to find ways of talking to each other and working with each other and IT teams need those skills just as much you know if, if not more than other teams uh, in the business. I mean I would say just to sort of finish up I think some of the great deal in fact of the talent that's coming through now at graduate level and, and, and beyond you know first job changes is just phenomenal the, the sort of range and breadth of the talent people that you know have been dealing with high-end computing tasks since they were seven, eight, nine years old and learned through, you know, through, through a, a series of, let's say, uh, facilities and opportunities that, you know, what my generation never had is just, just amazing. So I have no doubt that that generation is going to be just supremely successful in, in, in technology exploitation and leadership. Thank you. I appreciate that was a broad question. So asking you now, may have been hard. I hope it wasn't too broad an answer, but uh... <laughs> it wasn't. I think it was. It, um, it certainly chimed with a lot of a lot of what we've been seeing here at Hayes when it comes to to tech talent and and the shortage and and what's needed and what what employers are looking for. So now I'd like to finish with a question that we ask all of our guests: What do you think are the three qualities that make a good leader? And crucially, do you think these qualities have changed because of the pandemic? Well. I think the second question in some ways is easier than the first. I don't, I don't think they've changed because of the pandemic. Um, so I, I'll pick my three. I'm sure there are another 30 qualities that other people could have picked that would be just as good as, as the ones that I'll pick. But I don't think, you know, I think leadership is time, quite timeless in a way. The three that I picked are authenticity, communication and tolerance. So authenticity because I think... There are many ways to, to be a leader, but there's really only one way of being you. 
quite some time ago now was uh, this when I back at Unilever did a fair bit of management development around the concept of authentic leadership and true north and uh, you know I found that to be a very good way of thinking about leadership. The second one, communication. So leadership always involves explaining ideas and often explaining them again and again and taking on board feedback and nuances and then recycling those ideas into other conversations. So I think the ability to listen and understand and then again explain ideas is just an absolutely critical part of, of being a leader because it's, it's the sort of ideas and the currency of, of what we're dealing and being able to explain that and, and carry people with you and, and listen to what what you're being told is, is absolutely critical and then sort of tolerance and maybe that does in a way link in a little bit into the pandemic i mean i think teams are you know, necessarily, particularly when you get to sort of, you know, enterprise level, teams are large and complex things made up of human beings, you know, and we we are all as human beings, uh, complex people. Organisations are made up of large numbers of teams, so they are exponentially complex. So these are places that to sort of survive and thrive in large organisations, you have to have a degree of tolerance for different outcomes, different ways of doing things. You have to be able to learn from all of that and I think if you're too rigid about the way in which you think things have to happen it sort of inhibits success um, in large organizations so I think people look for tolerance in their leaders they look for people that are able to flex um, when they need to and I think good leaders do do that while sticking true to values and that goes back to the authenticity point value-based leadership is, is phenomenally important but nonetheless, you have to be able to listen and adapt and go with quite a different range of circumstances in order to to, to achieve success and to be seen as a you know a, a good leader. I would say this has been a, a really interesting conversation, and I'm I'm sure our listeners will have learned a lot from it. And I've I've certainly really enjoyed it myself. So thank you very much for joining us here today, Greg. We really appreciate it. No problem, Megan. And uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. If you found this advice useful, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via email at socialmedia at hayes.com.au.